Uh, that was meant to be Isaiah 40, verses 30 through 31. That's okay. It was good. Scripture's all good. It's cool. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father God Almighty, this is true. Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. And our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven and is now seated at your right hand. He will come to judge the living and the dead. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit, for the church established in Christ, the communion that we share, that Jesus has forgiven our sin. And we now look forward to the resurrection when we will spend the rest of our eternal lives in your presence. What a gift you gave to us when Jesus was born. This is what we believe. This is what we hope for. This is joy. This is love. God, we pray that you would fortify our souls, that you would strengthen our faith, our joy, our love. Let Jesus be our only hope. As we hear your word this morning, help us to be attentive. We pray that you would open our eyes, that you would ready our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that we might perceive and understand and respond. And Father, we pray for your blessing upon our community, the community we live in, Help us to be salt and light, to have hands ready to serve, tongues ready to bless, and that you would be glorified in us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and uh, each Sunday we have been, well, we celebrate the coming of Christ, so we remember Jesus' birth uh, as a baby, and also we look forward to his coming again. And each Sunday of Advent we, uh, we, will, we have lit a, uh, a different candle. And uh, each and the first candle was hope, and then we lit the faith candle and the joy candle, and this morning we light the love candle. And this is our question this morning, or our thought this morning, is uh, what is Christmas love, or better yet, what is Christian love? That's the thought this morning, the question this morning. And one more, do you really believe that God loves you? Do you really believe that God loves you? Some people think of love as an emotion, and our friend Google defines love this way, an intense feeling or deep affection of great interest and pleasure in something. This is how our culture defines love. Uh, but that sort of love is anemic, weak, feeble, in comparison with the love that we have at Christmas time. So if we define love as a feeling, then uh, we might rightly believe that um, the, the person or the being uh, that is loving us will change based upon our actions. That love is dependent upon our actions and, and making uh, uh, that person love them. Uh, it is a feeling. But that's not how we define love as Christians. And as we look through the eyes of Isaiah, uh, we're going to be learning uh, what it means to be loved even though we're unlovable. Over the years, the people of Israel had become idolatrous, unjust, inhumane, evil in many ways. They called what was good evil and what was evil good. Their eyes had been blind, their ears were deaf, their hearts were hardened, just like the idols that they worshipped. And so for their wickedness, God judged them, and he brought destruction. The people were killed or taken into captivity. And if you have ever been in a place of despair, you might know how they felt. This is the story of Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, and it's some pretty difficult reading. 
calling out people for what they had done and, uh, and judgment for what they were going to receive. And so one of the questions in the hearts and minds of the people of God at that point, after they had been taken into captivity, was, does God love me? Does he love me? And so this is where chapter 40 comes in today. After 39 chapters of calling out his people for their sin and declaring judgment for what would follow, Isaiah 40 takes a definite turn towards comfort, restoration, and love. It begins with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort my people who have felt great loss. Uh, These people have seen loved ones die at the hand of their enemies. They have been enslaved. They've been branded. They've been deported. They've been mocked, the butt of every joke. But God says, comfort them. And if you've ever tried to comfort someone who has experienced great loss before, someone who has uh, had a loved one die or, or some terrible things have happened to them, and it can be hard to find the words, to know what you should say or what you should not say in that experience. You might have, you might have been through that yourself. But God gave the words in this case. He said, comfort my people with the knowledge that their sins have been forgiven. They have suffered greatly, but they will be rescued. Uh, The barrier to any rescue by a holy God is unholy sin. But in Isaiah 40, verse 2, their sin had been forgiven and paid for. And so this is a consistent theme in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah Uh, Chapter 6, Isaiah sees a vision of God in the throne room, and and there's smoke, and it's trembling, and there's seraphim, and and God's, the train of his robe is filling the place, and Isaiah's overcome, and he said, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the God of Israel. And so a seraphim comes with a coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and says, "Your your, your sins have been atoned for. They've been forgiven. And now, in Isaiah 4, verse 2, the people have also been forgiven. But how will they be restored? How is that possible? It won't be a result of their own efforts. There's no way that they can restore themselves. They're in captivity. They're in Babylon, but God will do it. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, talks about a highway. It says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. There's going to be a highway through the desert. Every valley is going to be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground level, the rugged place of plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord will has spoken. Now, in Isaiah 35, he had also had an image of a highway, but in this case, the highway was for people to return to Jerusalem, and and ultimately, there are overtones of returning to heaven, returning to God's presence. But in this case, there's also a highway in Isaiah 40, but it is not for the people to return. It is for God to come. God's coming. There is a rescue that needs to take place. The sins have been forgiven and atoned for, and then the way is made for God to come to the people. And then the people's lives are compared to wildflowers blooming in the desert. Salvation is not dependent upon their strength, but on the everlasting word of the Lord. The people blossom, they bloom, they fade, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. These are the words of comfort. 
the people sin forgiven, salvation is from God. Now, do you remember where that highway shows up again in the New Testament? The time of Jesus. In the time of the Nativity, it shows up again. In this case, it's actually in Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So you should change the way you're thinking, how you're acting, whatever you're doing, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then it said, this is he, so John the Baptist, is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. So John the Baptist is the one who is supposed to prepare this highway for the Lord to come that was predicted 700 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. John the Baptist is supposed to prepare a road for God to come. And so who is John the Baptist preparing a road for? Anybody? Jesus. How will the people's sins be forgiven? Oh, you guys are really asleep. Let's try it. How will the people's sins be forgiven? Jesus. Yeah, John the Baptist will prepare the way, but Jesus is the God that is going to come. Uh, In Isaiah uh, 40, verse 5, says the glory of the Lord will be revealed. It's true that the flowers fade, the word of the Lord endures forever. And then it says, how will the glory of the Lord be revealed? Well, all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, verse 9 You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Here is your God. Coming on this highway, declared by John the Baptist. The word good news is the same as the gospel. The gospel means good news. The gospel is, here is your God. Jesus will tend his flock like a shepherd and gather lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart. Those are the words of Isaiah. Your life is like a flower of the field, says your God, but your hope is in the word of God made flesh. He is your comfort, your salvation, your king, and your shepherd. So what's love? Love is more than a feeling, right? Love is more than a feeling. We can't plumb its depths. We can't know its heights. It's too wide for us to understand. Love is huge. And love is one of the immutable attributes of God. God is love. And love has come down. In human history, there are two places where God's love shines the brightest, I believe. The one is at his incarnation, and the other one is at the cross. The one is when God came to us. The other one is when we returned to God. Now, can someone tell me what the incarnation of Christ means? It's God made flesh, right? God made flesh. That's the incarnation. Uh, if you want to read the passage on the incarnation, the best one is uh, the first chapter of John. The word incarnation comes from the Latin incarne, which means put on flesh. John 1.14, the word put on flesh, dwelt among us, 
Literally, when Jesus was born, he set up his tent of flesh among our tents of flesh. And Jesus later explained in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the creator entered his creation. The author entered the book he was writing and uh, wrote himself into the book. So the incarnation is God's loving gift to us. There is no greater gift that we can receive than the gift of God himself. And so this is what we joyfully celebrate at Christmas time. Incarnation is our source of joy. It is our hope. It's what our faith is based upon. And so we kind of return to that question. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you really believe that God loves you? It's not based upon a feeling or our inherent goodness. It's not because of what we can do for him or we can't do for him. Or do we really believe that we can receive God's grace because God loves us? His unmerited favor. Even though we're like the people who've been exiled to a foreign land, that there are consequences to the things we do, we're going to face them, but that God will love us and restore us even so. Have you received the gift of the Incarnation? And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I have. Uh, every now and then, I go to, uh, I'm, I gather my gifts I'm going to give for, uh, for Christmas or another event, and then, um, and then I forget one of them and find it later. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Or, or um, sometimes I forget to unwrap one. Or some, I mean, there's just kind of funny things happen with gifts sometimes. Uh, and then later you find out, uh, you know, that you... Um, it got lost in the mail or forgotten a closet or, or something along those lines. Well, the gift of God's love can be like that. It's something that we forget to give or we forget to receive. We actually, the gift has been given, but we never unwrapped it. We never enjoyed it. And, and I believe that's what God has for us today, is that we should take that gift and actually receive it, the, the gift of God's unmerited love. There's no worse place to be than believing that we actually have done wrong, that we're a sinner, but not believing in God's love and forgiveness and restoration. It'd almost be easier to not believe we sinned. Because if we believe we're a sinner and that God hasn't restored us, then we, we feel the full weight of that thing, as it truly is, at least we see the truth, but we don't see the truth that God has actually forgiven us and restored us. And we want to receive that love because that's the part that frees us. It's sometimes the missing part in the equation when, uh, in our faith, and we need to know that God loves us. So through Jesus, God has removed the barrier of our sin. A highway has been set up for Christ to come to us, and a highway is being prepared for us to return to God. And this is the gift that's been given to people, even if they feel they can't be loved, even if they feel they're unlovable. Because love is more than a feeling. Love is a gift of God, an eternal attribute of him. And it's the way back home. Isaiah uh, ends this chapter with some delightful words, which I love, and they're a promise. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired or weary. Young men stumble or fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the gift that has been given to each of us. I want to give um, us some time to respond to this, so I'm going to pray, and if you would like to open that gift, perhaps you never have, or perhaps you've never quite believed that God loves you despite things you've done or things that are not right, things you can't fix, I just really want you to receive that. So, Father, we thank you for this time here together. We trust in this gift of Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the source of joy. And although we might be like those people who've been exiled, we might be, have reaped consequences of our own sin or circumstances, help us to believe that you are the God of restoration. Perhaps there are some that would like to receive that gift now and just pray, and ask that you pray along with me. Father, um, forgive me for my sin. It is as bad as you say it is. But Lord, help me to unwrap that gift of your restoration, to truly believe I am forgiven, to be free from all of that, and to experience the joy of Christ and the gift of salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.